If your customer isn't coming back, stop thinking about how to sell to new ones. Fix it. Episode seven, chew on this. A little past halfway through the season. It's been pretty incredible. Um, and this one's going to be a little bit special. You know, every season, every every episode, we've been giving you guys a couple things to chew on and a couple things to extract. Um, but this episode is going to be covering every mistake and every <laughs> lesson we've had from 2022, the yeah. ones that are the most important for us. And we want to kind of be transparent about that, too. We've been talking about our wins a lot, um, but wins come with losses. And we want to talk about that. And uh, so we're going to give you a lot to chew on this episode. <laughs> so get your notebooks ready. And uh, we're going to get right into it. So, Ash, let's lead off with a mistake or a lesson. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, I think one of the biggest things uh, kind of going off of like iOS and all these things is really understanding your KPIs, right? Um, I, we've talked about a lot of these metrics already, CAC, LTV, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a couple of things that we did prior to the update, which was literally looking at a blended approach, right? So, like... There's that argument between should you look at CAC, MER, NCAC, whatever it is, right? Prior to the update, we were looking at MER, right? We're just, all right, spent this much, made this much at a 3x return, and you just know that the business is healthy, right? What we didn't realize is that we had to acquire customers at a certain rate that we just weren't. And that was post iOS update, right? Facebook is trying to target the low hanging fruit and that ended up just being customers. So we're kind of like rolling through customers and getting their LTV up, but we weren't like also acquiring new customers to, to kind of feed into this monster. And that's where we hit like a little bit of a snack, right? Yeah. So looking at NCAC was the next KPI that we started to look at um, just to understand, all right, on any day, how much can we afford to spend on a new customer based off of LTV numbers? That was just the go-to, right? The problem with that is that it doesn't necessarily give you a accurate representation of like cash flow, right? You can come to me and say like, all right, you, I need a $50 CAC, okay? I can get you that, but what if my AOV is $40? What right. if my AOV is 30? Uh, does, the, does the model work if the AOV is 60 or 100, right? That is where I think we had a little bit of an issue because as you know, the finance team was like, okay, you guys need to hit $50 CAC, okay? That doesn't necessarily work because they, on, on their end, it's like AOV is gonna be the same, but what if I go and, and change the offer up mm -hmm. and it's like a free sample offer, $30 AOV, but I'm still like, right, I'm cool with a $50 CAC, doesn't make sense, right? right? So looking at a new customer ROAS is a lot better um, because now it ties into uh, ties in AOV into that relationship, which now accounts for a certain level of cash flow that you need to bring in on a first-time order for for the business to make sense. So first one is KPIs. Set those KPIs. I would look at NCAC and NCROAS uh, before anything else. So I think another big mistake slash, I think it's more a lesson, right? It was when you look at your product catalog, right? I think especially with us, a big piece of our brand was launch, launch, launch. And uh, I don't think we take that piece away. I think the element that we learned though was strategic launches and, and where product market fit comes into play has a big part to do with it instead of just launching the next thing, right? Um, when you look at the product catalog, um, I think one of the things we learned from 2022 was as wide as we went, 
right? I think what we sometimes forgot was, well, where does this product sit, right? Does it open a whole new category? And now how do we teach an entire new category to people who are not customers, right? Um, and so I think one of the biggest lessons we learned was you can't make your entire product catalog revolve around retaining customers, existing customers. You have to keep in mind that 70, 80% of your traffic will still be new people who are gonna come in and say, well, what does this have to do with me, right? Or I came in looking for collagen, why is there a multivitamin here? Or why is there a meal replacement bar, right? Or weight loss products, et cetera. And so I think as you're looking at product launches, as you're looking at expanding your product um, and your catalog uh, line, one of the big pieces is to realize where is this actually going to fit in the grand scheme of things, right? Are you launching a product just to retain more customers and get retention revenue? If that's the case, then there's probably a little bit more to do in terms of maybe you create a hidden product that's only available to retention customers, right? Or, or maybe you create such a small batch that you literally sell out and there's nothing else to do with it. Um, versus if you're going to create a new product segment right, or, or a new category, like for us, if we opened up immunity, right, as a category, well then also we need to realize that after we gave the offer of a launch to new existing customers, how are we going to educate new customers coming to the website and seeing immunity all of a sudden? It needs to fit with your brand. It needs to fit with what we're trying to create, which is an obvious journey. So I think that's the one big piece, one of the big lessons we learned is when you're launching a new product, Make sure it has a product market fit, not just for your retention-based customers, but also your new acquisition customers. Another big piece is just the website in general, right? Uh, we talk about landing pages a lot. We talk about the back end, which is like the unsexy part of like the Shopify, right? Yep. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, how many apps do you have running? Um, we actually try to move away from utilizing the apps, which is almost counterintuitive to signing up for Shopify in the first place. But unfortunately, there are apps that are going to slow down the website. But what Shopify came out with was the 2.0 themes where you could literally have a little bit more uh, cleaner uh, systems um, coding in the back end. And that's what we ended up doing, right? right. Um, I think at one point our website speed was like, the load speed was like 10 seconds, um, which was like awful, right? It's terrible. Um, but that's because we were constantly building on the same theme. It was a, it was a, the, the, the basic one like out of the box that was custom coded and we had like four different developers work on it and like that thing was like ran through like it was not <laughs> it was not cohesive at all and so when we decided all right we're gonna move to 2.0 one a lot of brands I think if you haven't done it yet that's probably one of the biggest things that you can do to improve site speed um, it's just so much better it's so much faster there's a lot more you can do with it more customizable features that don't slow down the site. So if you are facing site issue speeds, I mean, a high load time is going to affect conversion rate to a certain degree. So it's one of those low-hanging fruits that you can literally convert from a 1.0 to a 2.0. And, and we did it within a month. Um, and as soon as we launched it, we cut that that load time in, I believe, almost half. So yeah. 2.0 uh, definitely is a move. I think one of the big topics that kind of just always gets pushed under the rug is like, team or staying lean and people and who are you hiring and who are you using as a freelancer? I think for us, we've always sided with, we're going to stay lean, right? And um, I think one of the lessons in 2022 was, 2022 was a post crazy growth year in 2021. 2022 was also supposed to be a crazy growth year, right? 
And to have back-to-back growth years, um, the one thing you cannot do systematically is have the same team. You just cannot. Uh, I don't, you know, uh, unless you're a unicorn or, or, or something of that sort, um, you just cannot systematically do it. Something's got to give, right? right? Either revenue will give, losses will give, something will give. Um, I think one of the things that we probably had, you know, a big lesson around was each year the, the business gets redefined. And redefining means you have to almost stop doing what you're doing and relearn something or re-implement something. And it's really hard just because the calendar calendar year shifts to get some get your team to start saying, okay, guys, stop doing what you're doing. We're going to try something totally different with our business, right? People are set in their ways. They have a routine. They're structured, et cetera. So one of the things I think is a big lesson is, is as the years go by for your business and as you grow or are planning to grow, getting the right people on the team, and I know it's super vague to say that, but right now the amount of resources is just incredible, right? Like um, give you an example. I mean, with Postscript, right? Postscript has a feature called Postscript Plus where for a very small monthly fee, you can get two people who are giving you white glove service, right? That's that's huge, right? Um, you know, even with uh, Tapcart, right? Just having their team come in and redo a whole new look and feel for your page because it's a new season, right? Tapping into these extended teams um, or refining the process, right? For bookkeeping, for example, we switched from having a bookkeeping team that was a little bit inundated with like old practices to an AI company called Final Loop, which is literally doing automated bookkeeping for us now, right? So it's like, how can you look at your team and you say, all right, if there's this person who's doing X role, is that person at its full capacity, one? And two, if they're not, can they be more efficient? And three, if neither one of those are the answers, can you add another layer to bring efficiency to to, to, to the brand? So I think one of the biggest lessons was, um, I think we stayed in our box in 22, when really I think we had to grow out of the box with our team. And that includes freelancers, growth assistants, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's ways to grow. There's efficient and cost-effective ways to grow. And uh, grow your team because right now you need people to understand new ways and, and things, new ways to do things. Going off of uh, what you're saying, right? Um, you kind of hit a cap with your, your current team and you kind of need to either hire more or kind of diversify the team a bit, right? Similar on the marketing side, right? You can't just rely on one channel. Um, at a certain point, there's there's only so much that you can squeeze out mm-hmm. of, you know, for us, it was Facebook, right? Um, TikTok had its year last year, um, kind of the ups and downs, but it was another platform that we can kind of allocate budget elsewhere. It proved to be successful. There was better efficiency across the board. Um, but to your point, it's you do need that team to now pump out a ton of creative. And right. that's just where we kind of capped out too, right? We have, you know, one in-house creator. We have a few, you know, that we hit up from, from time to time. But what you what you learn is, is that at the end of the day, to really scale the brand from, you know, 30 to 50 to 100, you're going to need a lot more than one creator, right? right. Um, so that was one of the biggest things is diversifying into, you know, different channels like TikTok. Um the other thing was, is again, with iOS updates, um, email marketing was affected, right? Open rates, click rates, all the data that you used to rely on just like suck, right? Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. How do we help retention when these channels are, one, SMS is expensive. Um, it's effective, but again, expensive. 
Uh, email, again, you don't know what's really happening. How do you optimize for certain you know, metrics that aren't necessarily accurate on, on the platform? Uh, one of the biggest channels that we uh, kind of went into was direct mail. Um, and direct mail through Postpilot, you know, the team, like you said, diving into these teams that just like can handle a lot off of your plate, right? Yeah. Postpilot, I mean, they have a whole team that sets up the creatives, they set up the segments, um, everything for you to just be like, hey, good, good to go, send it out, it. right? So diving into these different channels as you kind of grow is 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 huge because you need to have that omni-channel presence. Right. Um, and I think for 23, the biggest thing that we're going to focus on is influencers, affiliates, um, just to now flood that the website and the brand with just additional traffic that is not paid, right? Like not Facebook, because after a certain while, Facebook is going to circle the the same people and yep. they're just not going to know. So diversify your team and diversify uh, marketing efforts. So when we talk about customer-facing experience, right? And and we talk about, you know, what are, some people call it, you know, uh, customer service, some people call it customer experience, whatever you may call it in your company, at the end of the day, it's serving your customers, right? One of the, I think, maybe not even lessons, but one of the more eye-opening things I think we saw in 2022 was the fact that when we kind of dove deep into customer experience and we kind of start to like nitpick it across responses and understand how the customer is feeling for a second. Um, I think that was a big lesson learned, which was sometimes you're creating the experience to be as automated and macro driven so that you get efficiency around closing tickets, right? I, I, I'm sure anyone listening, it's like, that's one of the biggest goals, right? The KPI is we need to close X amount of tickets so that X amount of emails are answered, right? But when you actually boil that down and you, you tear it apart, um, and you look at these responses and how the customer feels when they get it, um, it's a whole different ballgame. And as much as you know, AI and stuff is great, and I think we're big proponent users of it, there's only so much automation you can create until you actually understand the customer. And one big lesson that we've learned from 22 is learning to be personal with the customer, even if it means you're going to lose 50% efficiency, but increase 50% of satisfaction, that's the trade-off that's worth it. Um, you rather answer one more ticket late, but then answer two more tickets the right way. And I think we went a little bit more from being almost fully macro-driven at one point, where literally everything was under a macro, to like, now we only use macro if it's like literally the most redundant thing, right? Um, and I think that piece has been really helpful, uh, but it's a lesson we learned pretty late into the game because of us kind of seeing the leakage of customer service happening in other places. Like you saw it on your Facebook ad comments. Uh, we'd seen in the community um, where people are just complaining, but then you're kind of like, well, whatever, right? And you brush off one or two. But when it starts adding up, I think that's when you realize, okay, I need to do something about this. So um, make customer experience personal. Um, and, and, and I think trade off efficiency for personalization um and and commit to that i think that's it's tough uh but but i think it's worth it uh yeah i mean customer experience is is super crucial right um like you said we were doing macros and just trying to get that to what they call inbox zero right mm -hmm. but a lot of it was really crucial feedback that we should have pretty much like 
changed a few things about the business and we really didn't right mm -hmm. at the end of the day like the the cs team is so siloed like all right here's an issue they're going to solve it and move on but there was no like feedback loop with the founders uh to like understand what are the issues at hand what like why are people complaining and what can we do to actually fix that right i think we were so like our 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 mind was so like in the clouds because we have this community sixty thousand members um, you're really only going to join a community because you love the product, right? right. So you, you take this community that's full of positivity and you think like your brand's the best thing in the world, mm -hmm. right? But then on the opposite side, the people that love to complain are going to find places to complain and that's within, you know, the, the email, mm -hmm. um, ad comments, SMS, trust pilot, SMS, right? And all those places that we didn't necessarily look at nor compared to the overwhelming positive responses, right? right. So that's one thing that I would have to say that we, we should have done a lot earlier was survey customers, you know, outside of what we were doing in the community, mm -hmm. outside of what we were seeing in, in the customer service inbox, um, giving everybody a chance to voice their opinions and like not giving it a bias, right? right? Um, what I think that helped us do is think about what the product line looks like in 23, right. right? You know, our flagship product, again, is our flagship product because it's, it's a great product and people love it, but there is a certain amount of people that may find flaws with it. And even if we can make it 10 or 20% better, that affects the bottom line throughout the year just because LTV improves, right? Like sending out emails like constantly throughout the month there, that's one way to get in front of somebody. But if the product isn't like in the right place and it's not the best that it can be, right. you yourself are not gonna get to 50 to 100 million, right? You might be serving like a small demographic of people who love the product, but how can you widen that net? And again, further LTV. So definitely surveying customers on a more uh, frequent level mm -hmm. is probably something that we're gonna do um, and will do in, in, in 23. So speaking off and, and going off of that topic of like surveying customers so that you learn what they want, I think on the other side, what can we, you do to get ahead? Um, one of the things I think we learned was making sure that your product is super clear. So many of us um, in the CPG space are especially in the consumable space, right? And not so much utility, right? So utility can show, consumable, you almost have to hope that someone can see the end of the light, right? The, the light in the end of the tunnel. So with that being said, I think one of the things we learned was if you have products and let's say in our, in our case, category like weight loss, right? Um, just telling someone that this product helps with weight loss and not explaining to them how it helps with weight loss and how they'll actually attain weight loss because it's not just a magic pill or a magic powder or a gummy, um, those are the missing pieces that I think we assume the person to know, but like they don't, they really, really don't. Uh, it's, it's, they're actually coming to us with kind of like, hey, a hope where they'll get to learn this stuff. And this kind of affects, this topic kind of affects a lot of things, right? It's, it's your communication from the minute they come to your website or landing page down to the minute they may purchase or not even purchase, right? Even your abandoned cart. Um, but the minute they purchase, so your your post-purchase experience, your emails, your SMS, your follow-ups, the, the daily blogs you may send out, the daily motivation messages you may send out, whatever it may be, it needs to curate the idea that you're actually teaching people what this is going to do for them. I think another thing that we learned was like even people who were coming for a product that had multiple 
features or benefits. Not everyone's coming for every feature or benefit. So it's like we're trying to market everything at once or we're trying to give everyone the, you know, the, the plethora of benefits a product has, but really they may only care for one. And because it's a roll-up of so many, nothing gets its own personalized effect. So I think really understanding that audience, um, I think is, is a big piece to, to our 2022 lesson around that. So to even further that, right, there's so many different things that we did tactically, like, you know, um, post-purchase surveys, right? Um, we use uh, No Commerce, you know, shout out to the boys there. Uh, great team, integrates with Triple Whale. Um, and I, and I, it, it just becomes, <laughs> it just becomes this like source of information that you won't necessarily get because post-purchase, right? They're already like in that mindset of they understand why they're buying, what's the pain point that they're trying to achieve. And like, they're ready to spill their secrets right there and then, right? So post-purchase, I would one if you haven't set that up, set it up today. Um, no commerce, great app. Um, some of the questions that we ask, right, is um, what was the main reason for your purchase today, right? Like you said, there's so many benefits that our products have, especially within the supplement space. And to to really understand what's driving the purchase is key because one, you might or we might find an angle that we can hit on some of our our ads, right? We know the angles to be hair, skin, nails, but sure. there are certain things where like there are certain like health conditions that come up a lot, right. right? And that in itself can be its own angle. That in itself could be its own landing page. And when you have that product market fit, you are more efficient than yeah. being a little bit more on the general side, right? So why are you buying today? Getting those those answers are, are super crucial. Two, if you were, right, considering another competitor, who were they and why, right? right? That allows me to also understand, okay, within my ad, what are certain things that people care about when they're when they're searching for a collagen, right. right? How do I make sure that's being addressed in the landing page, in the ad itself, or even the ad copy? Gold. Like, right. literally, they're telling you, I was going to go to Vital Proteins because of X, Y, and Z. Right. Well, in my landing page, I'm going to tell you, don't do that because of ABC, right? right? So right. that's that's one of the other biggest things. Outside of that, attribution, right? Where did you first hear about us? Um, there's a lot of, you know, overlap between, you know, you saw the ad on TikTok, then, you know, you clicked an ad on Facebook and you purchased, right? TikTok yep. is going to say it made that purchase. Facebook is going to attribute it to them. Well, where does the truth really lie? That's probably one of the biggest things to kind of help you understand, hey, if 25% of my budget is TikTok, are 25% of my uh, responses right. saying I came from TikTok, right? And if not, then you adjust. Another really cool uh, question that we ask is, right now, what would what kind of information would be helpful to you right now? Yeah. Right. So you just posted, um, or sorry, you just placed an order. One of the biggest things that somebody asked for was, I want to see more testimonials. Right. So right there and then that tells me, okay, I need to add more testimonials to the ads or right. the landing page. Or up until they get their product, maybe we can highlight a few stories to one, get them excited about getting the product. That's two, right. teach them how to use the product and educate them up until it's delivered at their front door. Right. So all these questions serve as like, just how do you improve that overall customer experience? It's one thing to set it up, but it's two to actually take your time and like actually analyze it. And mm -hmm. it's three to actually implement certain changes to, to make the entire experience a little bit more um, cohesive. 
I think the the big piece of kind of bridging off of what you just mentioned, right, which is like understanding what the customer wants and then obviously over-educating them if you can prior to that. Um, I think it all boils down to one end goal for every every business is how do we get this customer back? Um, and, and I think the big lesson of 22, probably the biggest, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is, is retention is the single most important piece of your business. Um, you can be a marketing king, you can be a finance guru, you can get, you can have every, you can have the best brander in the room, but if you don't have retention, there's, you're only going to survive, um, for, for, for a short amount of time. And I think for us, there's a few pieces that was important. Um, one was, I think, even when you look at the platforms like, let's say email, for example, right? Breaking that down from saying, okay, let's let's put campaigns down for a second and say, how do we actually talk to these people on, on, a, on a more personal level, but not even personal, based on what they did, right? So someone who's bought one time has to be talked to completely different from someone who's bought two times and really someone who's bought three times. Um, and then within that, that should be across each product, right? It's like, you're, if, you, if we have 20 different SKUs, as annoying as this sounds, the most ideal retention setup is each of those SKUs that have been bought separately should have its own retention flow because you have to educate differently, you have to give them different expectations, the follow-up period is different, and even what they should be feeling that feedback loop should be different, right? So that's been a huge kind of pivotal piece for us going into this year is breaking that down, finding the right talent to help us with that. Um, we even onboarded with retention.com, which has been really cool because we're able to acquire data on the people who are not leaving their emails. So we're able to find out if we can attack them a different way, not so much just always a promo and loop them into that and hope that they abandon cart. Um, so that's been really, really cool. Um, and then I think the the biggest layer on the retention piece, I think the biggest lesson is the customers that haven't bought in some time, um, although many people like to, I think, throw in the towel or just sunset, right? I think, they're, yeah, I think you have to objectively go at it differently. And I think what we're doing is literally saying everything we've tried, don't do it again and completely start from scratch, right? I think even when we're like having someone analyze the account, it's like, look at everything we've done and don't do that and do everything differently, right? So I think it, it kind of, you have to look yourself in the mirror and you just have to say, all right, whatever I have done and if retention isn't where I want it to be, I'm going to have to try it a completely different way. I think sometimes uh, one, of the, one of the mistakes we made would be to keep refining the same wrong process, right? So like if you had a certain flow, one of the things we would do is like, we tweak the second email in it, or we'd add another email to the end of the flow. But the problem is, is, is that flow even correct? Right? So um, I think the biggest takeaway on this is, is like, when it comes to retention, um, it is probably going to be the most tedious, unattractive piece towards what is revenue generating in some standpoint. Um, but you have to give it that time, especially in this climate. So if CRO and, and making these changes like, you know, to a 2.0 site theme or whatever it is, um, if that's like on the horizon, having some side of what the data is telling you is like super crucial, right? One of the biggest things that we did right away was, okay, well, a 2.0 theme is infinitely better than a 1.0. And we just set it and we were like, 
all right, cool, this is it, right? We didn't really have an idea of whether or not it was actually performing well for us. Right. Um, we just knew it was better for the brand, right? I would advise against that. I would definitely, you know, advise on A-B testing. Um, and that's kind of what we did. You know, we ended up hiring an analyst who could mm -hmm. help us track these changes, right? It's it's tough for the founders and, and for us to come up with the ideas, get it into motion and implement it, but then that's also right. study the data after. It's like, it's we have so much to do, right? right? Um, especially with the pure amount of, of testing that we're, we're trying to do, right? So getting an analyst, um, is super crucial, right? It allowed us to unlock a lot of things. And I think one of the biggest tests that we did was is we moved away from free shipping on all, all orders, right? We figured, okay, everyone's accustomed to that. Um, if we charge for shipping, is it gonna is it gonna lower our conversion rate? Um, we were scared, right? Um, but we noticed so many brands are still doing it, right? Uh, shipping costs on our end went up on our P&L, but our prices didn't. Right. So it, it takes away from your margin, right? So being able to strategically come up with these ideas and implement it, but then also study the data behind it to, to, to make sure that one, it's not affecting conversion rate at all mm -hmm. um, on a day-to-day -day basis is super crucial because one, we we launched a test. I think um, we did free shipping on orders over $75. Yep. Um, we added it into our gamified cart. Um, we saw a bump in AOV. Um, I don't think we saw uh, an effect on conversion rate, which is what we were fearing, but right. That allowed us to add back to the bottom line, mm -hmm. which drastically changes yes. a lot of things, right? So now being able to have the analyst say like, all right, from you know this week, week over week, these are the numbers. I don't see any reason why this was a fail. In fact, I see that it's better. Mm -hmm. Boom. That now opens up the door to like, hey, what if we increase the threshold to 100? Does that improve the AOV even more at the expensive conversion rate? And those, those are the tests that one, we can conceptualize all day, mm -hmm. but having the that that story that really tells you did this work or not right. is super crucial. And I think having somebody on that, um, and if you could do it by yourself, at least do it um, when you're doing these tests. So yeah. yeah. So speaking of data, I think one of the 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 parts that were always looming, and I think something we always talked about, and I think something we're passionate about is planning, forecasting, and financing. Um, especially when it comes to cash flow and how do you can use cash flow and, 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 and creating either a negative cash conversion cycle or a positive cash flow system. Um, one of the things I think we learned was no matter what you're doing for the temporary three months, six months, nine months, or 12 months, um, the one thing that I think you, I think you have to make your business bulletproof to is an economic downturn. And it's like, it's crazy to think because they're very rare to come by, right? Um, we're, we're, I think they say you may see three or four times in you know, the lifetime of each human. But the thing is, is if you fall into one of those cycles, um, not being prepared for it um, actually can, can make you lose everything you've done very quickly. So I think one of the lessons we learned was, you know, for us, tools like, Parker getting, you know, net 60 or now they have a 30, 60, 90 card, being able to utilize those cards on things like ad spend so that we're able to push it off, right, gives you cash flow and gives you the ability to be a little bit volatile um, with your business. And then using tools like plastic, which, you know, we haven't, I don't know, last time we paid an ACH over $10,000 immediately, right? Everything has been through plastic and, and being able to defer that um, helps, right? Of course, you have to factor in finance fees and your margins. But 
I think with those, without those tools, I don't, first of all, I actually don't see how companies can survive. Now, let's say you are using those tools. So more like us, right? Uh, I think we're power users of tools uh, like Parker and Plastic. But on top of that, I think what you need a really, really strong format of is scenario planning. Um, and I think it's pretty cool. What we did was um, we created like a cash window. And what we did was we created a re realistic scenario, um, a worst case scenario, and an aggressive scenario. And what that does is it gives us the ability to actually forecast cash. You know, a lot of people look at forecasting with inventory, and that's important. Um, but we're able to forecast cash based on where cash flow will be, right? Um, and in this kind of economic uncertainty and, and macroeconomic pieces that are going on, although those aren't excuses, it's reality. So you almost have to be prepared for what's going to come. And I think one of the biggest lessons we learned was you can't almost build the company on a three, six to 12 month basis. Um, you almost have to look at it as a 12, 24, 36 month basis. But within that 12, 24, 36 month projection, you need to build out multiple scenarios um, because that gives you literally a timeline of where can the health of your business go and what's needed, right? Um, yes, some of the data keeps you sleepless at nights, but um, rather be sleepless and knowing what's going on then uh, sleep peacefully and uh, figure out everything's been pulled under you, right? So um, I think that's one of the bigger lessons is just forecasting uh, with absolute scenarios in mind um, and forecasting for cash. Um, so that's been really powerful. So we covered a lot. Um, basically, a lot of the things that we learned, uh, what to do and what not to do in 2022, um, taking those lessons and really trying to, to continue to scale the brand into uh, 2023. Chew on Chew all on that. that. Chew on all that. <laughs> if you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.